0: Okay, so we're continuing our study through the Apostle Paul's letter uh, to the church in Rome. And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible app to Romans chapter 4. Now, last time we examined the first half of Romans 4 where Paul illustrates the good news of God's grace and the gospel through the life of Abraham. And we learned that Abraham was declared righteous or acceptable or justified before God, not on the basis of his good works or on the basis of him uh, exercising religious rituals like circumcision or by keeping the law. All of these are important and have their place, but there was only one way Abraham was justified and made acceptable to God, even as there is only one way for us to be justified and made acceptable to God, and that is by grace, through faith, in God alone. Now, in this message, as we continue to dive into Romans 4 and the life of Abraham, we're going to discover what true faith looks like and how God grows our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, Verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now notice that does not say that without faith, it is difficult or it is challenging to please God. No, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, from God's perspective, faith is an absolute essential. Now, those of you who are parents, isn't it true that you want to see your children grow up physically, mentally, emotionally, and in every other way? And you would be some concerned if they stopped growing in these areas. Well, in the same way, our loving God wants us to grow up spiritually, to know him personally, and to trust in him completely. Now, faith is something you learn it is something that has to be developed faith in some ways is like a muscle it grows stronger only if you exercise it and the same is true in the area of our spiritual growth you see if given the choice most of us would be content to live um, a safe a secure and a comfortable life People pay big bucks these days to feel safe and secure. But God loves us too much to leave us there because he knows that true satisfaction, fulfillment, true joy and peace uh, can only be found through a vibrant relationship with him and through experiencing, and living out the faith-filled adventures that he has ordained for us. And so God often challenges us to move out of our comfort zone and at times even forces us out of our comfort zone in an attempt to grow our faith in him. Which brings us to our scripture lesson today through which God uses the life of Abraham to teach us the true nature of faith and how he seeks to grow our faith. First of all, God often seeks to grow our faith by giving us a calling. Before we get into Romans 4, we need to back up a bit and remind ourselves of a major event in Abraham's life. And we find that in Genesis chapter 12. And there we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haram. So here we have Abram and his family. They're enjoying the good life in a relatively modern city of that day. And God approaches him and asks him to pull up stakes and to move. And Abe asks, where are we moving to, Lord? And God says, I'll let you know along the way. Just pack up the moving man and start driving. And we go on to read that Abram responded with obedience To God's call so let me ask you has God extended a call to you if not have you been leaning into him at all have you been listening for his assignments God extends his call in various ways he may speak to you through the pages of Scripture while you're having a quiet time with him or he may you may sense his calling while listening to a sermon or perhaps having a conversation with someone, or even in the context of serving someone. He might give you um, a dream or a vision to begin a new ministry or to start a new group of some sort that God is going to use to impact the earthly and the eternal trajectory of many lives. It might be a specific call to take a certain course of studies, or it might be as simple as him prompting you to speak to someone standing alone in the foyer of the church after a service, or picking up the phone, calling someone up to encourage them and to pray for them. Now, in some cases, his call will be way out there, not unlike what God called Abram to do here, like an actual move, perhaps, or even the change of a career. I mean, think about it god asks abram at the age of 75 to pack up and move to a land he knows nothing about now those of you who are 75 or older how would you respond to a call like that i mean when i think of all the family and friends that i have helped move over my lifetime just the thought of packing up and moving that in itself makes me want to lie down And take a long nap but let's be honest when people approach retirement age many think that they've kind of done their tour of duty or they think that God's no longer really has anything useful for them to do now granted as we age there comes a time when we need to slow down the pace of our lives but the life of Abraham teaches us though we may retire from our job There is no retirement from the Christian life. Until we breathe our last, God wants us to keep growing in our faith. And so God may call you to do something at the age of 45, at the age of 65, even at the age of 75, that may have a greater impact on his kingdom than anything you have done up to this point in your life. I could tell you stories of a number of people who are part of our church who who had great careers and impacted many lives during those years, but in some cases, whom God blessed even more wonderfully and used more powerfully after they retired from their paid positions. I mean, think about all the faith-building adventures, all the opportunities to witness firsthand God's power at work in and through his life that Abraham would have missed had he said no to God's call when he was 75. Even more importantly, had he not believed God and had he said no to his call, think about the opportunity He would have missed to truly become a friend of God. But Abraham didn't say no. He believed the Lord and he said yes to his call. And the Lord not only credited his belief in him as righteousness, but in God's perfect timing, all the people of the earth were blessed through him in the person of one of his descendants Jesus Christ, just as God had promised. So whether we're young or old, God wants to grow our faith. And often he begins that process by giving us a calling or an assignment to follow him in some way. Secondly, God grows our faith by asking us to take the first step. Again in Genesis 12, we read, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Before God gave Abraham the promise of being the father of many, he asked him to take the first step by leaving his country and going to the land that God would show him. We see this principle throughout Scripture. God grows our faith by asking us to make the first move. In Joshua 3, we read of the time that the Israelites were crossing the Jordan. And God told Joshua that as soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant set foot in the Jordan River, its waters would stop flowing and allow the people to cross the Jordan on dry land. They needed to make the first move and exercise faith by stepping into the Jordan and then God would follow through on his promise Jesus taught the same principle in Luke chapter 6 where he was teaching about generosity and he said give and it will be given to you God says I want you to exercise trust in me by giving first and then I will bless you in return in my way and in my time so at some point we have to make a decision am I going to respond to God's call and take the first step or not and often this is where things break down this is where things get stalled but you see faith is a verb Faith is not passive. It is active. It's taking the initiative. Well, Abram packed up and responded to the call of God in his life. He doesn't waffle. He doesn't say, well, Lord, if it's okay with you, you know, I'll follow you right after my kids graduate from high school. Or I'll follow you right after my business is well established and I'm independently wealthy. In other words when I don't need to put my trust in you anymore. Or, Lord, you know, I'll follow you. Absolutely. If my spouse likes the climate of where we're going. Now, once they knew that this was of the Lord, Abraham and Sarah responded to the call of God, and they stepped out. Now, I want you to realize... When Abraham left his country he didn't leave his livelihood behind no he left with his flocks of sheep and goats all that he owned in order to continue to provide for his family and his loved ones and I draw that to your attention to make this point when we sense God calling us to do something way out there that will have huge ramifications on our personal lives, our family, our future, it's absolutely critical that we consult with godly people that we know and respect and who know us to confirm God's calling in our lives. We don't go off independently and assume that we've heard from God to move to a new country or to start a new ministry without any thought of the implications of doing so. You see, this is one of the reasons that God established the church. You see, we've got a bit of a sickness going on in some Christian circles today, and it's beyond COVID that I'm talking about. And that is people just indiscriminately announcing that God's called them to do something or to start something. And with the power of the internet and social media, they just set up shop and they go for it. And if you ask them, you know, has the body of Christ affirmed your calling? Have those who know you best confirmed your character, your giftedness, your preparation? When you ask them that question, they say, well, no, that doesn't really matter. I've been called by God, and that's all that matters. Now, church, listen to me. If God is calling you to a special ministry, then he will confirm his calling through others who know you well, in the church, including the leadership of the church. We read about this in the scriptures. For example, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to leave the church at Antioch for a special work he had for them. And it goes on to say that it was only after the church had fasted and prayed about this, which means they really took it serious, that they laid hands on them and they sent them out which indicates they blessed them and were in agreement that this calling was truly of the Lord. You see, here's my concern. I believe one of the reasons there is so much false and distorted teaching on the internet these days that's leading millions of people astray is because there are all kinds of self-proclaimed teachers, prophets, apostles, and pastors out there who have launched out on their own without the authority the blessing the affirmation and the accountability of the greater body of christ if you watch certain teachers on the internet i would challenge you to ask and to explore what christ-centered church authority are they operating under and who is it that's keeping them accountable questions like this should not at all uh, threaten them if they are above board, if they're accountable, and if they're operating under the biblical authority of the body of Christ. Now, I realize what I just talked about here is a little bit of a rabbit trail. But the point is, when God's call has huge implications for our personal and our family life, it's important that we first consult and receive affirmation from the godly people that know us and that we know and trust and so God seeks to grow our faith first by giving us a call or an assignment and then secondly asking us to step out in faith and then thirdly God often grows our faith by allowing difficulties and delays to come our way in Genesis 17 we read of an incident in the life of Abraham and Sarah That is 24 years, a quarter of a century after they received the promise of a child. And of course, at this point in time, they still hadn't received a child. And God says this in verse 3 of Genesis 17. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations which is of course is what Abraham means father of many nations now Abraham is face down on the ground when God gives this promise again and undoubtedly he's thinking father this is the third time you have told me this promise you've told me when I was 75 you told me when I was 86 and now The age of 99 you're telling me again that I will be the father of many nations and yet we're still without child Lord no question Abraham is discouraged here he's saying Lord I'm not getting any younger I mean my back goes out far more than I do why are you waiting so long sometimes we hear a clear call from God we receive the confirmation from other godly people and we take the first step of faith. But then we run into all kinds of delays, difficulties, and even trials. And we say, Lord, you know, did I miss something in the translation? Why after stepping out in faith did I get this sickness? Why is my business bottoming out? Why am I still being treated this way by my boss? Why am I still alone with no prospect of a life partner in sight? Why is this loved one many of us are praying for still sick? Why, after all I've done, reaching out the last number of years to my work associate or to my neighbor, is this person still hard-hearted towards you? and your church how do you handle the waiting rooms of life what do you tend to do when difficulties and delays come your way well some people begin to doubt and that's pretty natural But remember, doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is uncertainty. We know Abraham and Sarah were beginning to doubt, and they were close to giving up. In Genesis 16, we read, they decided to take matters into their own hands and have a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar. Have you ever taken matters into your own hands? when God seems silent or God seems to have his hands in his pocket? Ever pull away from God and take matters into your own hands? There's always a price that comes when you decide to do it your way rather than God's way. But please hear me on this. Even if you come to the point of despair and you take a detour, Abraham and Sarah teach us that detours need not be dead ends in our lives. Though they took a detour in chapter 16, they were back on track in chapter 17. Yes, Abraham doubted God. He grew impatient, but his faith never slid into the ditch of unbelief. I'd like you to look at Romans 4 now in verse 20 it says yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of god but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to god his faith had temporary lapses but it never extinguished abraham never gave up and turned his back on god though weary though discouraged He continued to believe God and the promise God had made to him. You know, one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true is because it doesn't try to whitewash its heroes. With the exception of Jesus, who was sinless. The Bible lets us see the weakness, the the sin, the failure, the foolishness of great men of faith like Abraham and David and others. And I think God allowed the ugly stuff to be included in the Holy Scriptures, not to minimize sin, but to show us that even when we drop the ball, even when we disappoint Him, if we repent, if we remain humble, and we just get up and keep loving Him, and keep walking with Him, and just keep putting one foot in front of the other, step by step, God is more than able to take the ashes of our sin and our regrets and turn them into something beautiful in our lives. And we see this in the life of Abraham. And so the question is, how was Abraham able to remain strong in his faith? despite the delays and difficulties that he faced. Well, that brings us to Romans 4, the second half of this chapter, which answers that question. First of all, Abraham's faith remains strong because it was in God rather than in, in his own ability. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, He, and that's referring to Abraham, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. Notice the phrase, in whom he believed. You know, we all have faith. And we all exercise faith on a daily basis. Every time you get in a car, you do. Every time you get in an elevator, you do. When you sat down in your chair, you probably didn't examine it, but you just had faith and sat down. We all have faith. The issue is, where do we place the faith that we have? Abraham didn't put his faith in a principle. No, he put his faith in a person. Abraham didn't put his faith in a force or a formula. No, he put his faith in God. Faith is not a positive mental attitude. Faith is not psyching yourself up with wishful thinking. Faith is not saying, I can accomplish anything I put my mind to. No, true faith, saving faith, is in the God who can accomplish the impossible. Now now, make no mistake, having a positive attitude Beats having a negative and a defeated attitude any day. But true faith is not a faith in ourselves. It is not faith in our faith. True faith is in God. In Romans 4 3, Paul writes that Abraham believed God. God was the object of his faith. You see, The quality of your faith totally depends on the object in which you're placing your trust. As someone said, you can have strong faith in thin ice and end up drowning in your faith. On the other hand, you can have weak faith in thick ice and make it safely across the lake as if you walked on concrete. The question is, how reliable, how trustworthy is the object of your faith and friends that is why it is so critically important that we seek to know God because he is the object of our faith Abraham believed in the God of the impossible he believed God because he understood two things about God which we read about in verse 17 He is our father, which again, referring to Abraham, in the sight of God, in whom he believed. And then look what he believed about God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. First of all, Abraham understood and believed that God gives life to the dead. Long before God raised Christ from the dead, Abraham believed in god's resurrection power that god gives life to the dead that he makes dead things alive he believed god could give life to sarah's womb and to his impotence secondly abraham understood and believed that god could create something out of nothing he believed god created the universe from nothing which is a truth not only held by theologians but Modern science affirms it as well. It's like Abraham reasoned to himself one day, you know, I know having a child at our age is not biologically possible, but God clearly gave me this promise. And if he's capable of creating the universe from nothing, and if he's capable of creating human life, then it's ridiculous for me to think that our biological age is a problem too big for God. Verse 21 says, Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so, when we talk about faith, it's not the amount of your faith that matters, or at least matters most. It's the object of your faith. Now secondly, Abraham's faith remained strong because his focus was on God's promise rather than on his problem. Look at verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Faith is not pretending. Faith is not saying there is no problem here. Some people teach to have faith, you have to ignore reality. The doctors may say that you're sick, but if you want God to heal you, they say, well, then you need to ignore the facts. You need to talk and act and pray like you're not sick at all, like you've already been healed. Folks, that's not faith. That's fantasy. I mean, look at verse 19 again. It says, Abraham faced the fact that he was old and impotent and that his wife was barren. True faith faces the facts. Abraham didn't ignore the problem. But please note this. He didn't dwell on the problem either. Rather, he chose to focus on the promise of the problem solver look at verse 18 against all hope abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be abraham faced the facts but that didn't stop him from believing the promise that god gave to him Here's the thing, God can't be rushed. God is a good God. And so we know that there is a good reason for everything that he does and everything he allows. His timing and his ways are perfect, whether it appears that way to us or not. In fact, when you read the stories of people in the Bible, It's pretty apparent that many times the reason for the delays and the difficulties and the trials is because God wants to bring us to a point where we have nowhere else to turn but to God. I mean, let me ask you, could that be why God has allowed COVID to continue this long? Because he's trying to get our attention in a way he hasn't been able to before? Because he's trying to help us focus on him and to see what's really important in life. Could it be? In order to grow our faith in him, God often lets us wait until it's completely out of our hands and out of our control, where we say, God, I've tried everything. If you don't do something there is no hope here have you ever been there where you did everything in your power that you could and you've come up to the end of your resources you have no solutions there's nothing you can do and God says great now you're ready for the miracle that I want to accomplish in and through your life and sure enough in God's time and in God's way the promise he made comes true and our love for him and our trust in him skyrockets because we realize that our God is God (laughs) that there is no way we could have pulled that off in our own strength and also that there isn't a more fulfilling and exciting way to live than to trust him and to follow him That's how God grows our faith, friends. And how our friendship with him um, is grown as well. Now I want you to look at verse 21 again. I think this verse is a great definition of faith. It says, Abraham was fully persuaded that God had had power to do what he had promised. Notice Abraham's faith wasn't in his own faith. His faith was in God and in what God had promised. And I want you to notice that. It was in God and in what God had promised. Now, I point that out because sometimes people have faith in God for things he did not promise. Let me remind you of some things he did promise us. In 1 John 1, 1.9, he's promised that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness in Romans 10 9 he has promised if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved these are just a couple of truths of God's promises in the scriptures and there are so many more However, God has not promised us an easy and a carefree life in this broken world. He has not promised that all of our wishes, wants, and desires will be met in this life. Neither has he promised to deliver us from hard situations necessarily. What he has promised is to be with us and to walk with us through the storms and through the disappointments of life and to give us the strength we need in those situations so here's my question friends is what you're believing God to do something that he has promised you in his word or through his whispers which align with his word I ask that because if God didn't promise you what you're believing him for, like winning the lottery, for example, then you may not receive what you're hoping and praying for. On the other hand, if he has clearly promised you something the way that he did Abraham, and it's in alignment with God's character and his word, then you can bank on it just like Abraham did. God will fulfill his promise in his time and in his way. And I say in God's time and in God's way because as we have seen through the life of Abraham and Sarah, sometimes God's way and God's timing doesn't quite jive with our timing and our way. But Romans 8.28 reminds us that we can still trust him because he has our best interests at heart in all things and that he works all things together for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I'll close with this. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 11, we have a powerful illustration of how God cares for us and also while challenging us to grow at the same time. says this like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft now one commentator points out when Moses talks about God stirring up the nest he's referring to a mother eagle's efforts to get her little eaglets to fly you see the nest is a safe and a a comfortable place to be. And if left to themselves, the little eaglets might be content just to stay there forever or for much longer than they really should. Well, the mother eagle cares too much for that to happen. And so she stirs up the nest, which exposes sharp things like pebbles and twigs, which she initially used to build the nest. And those pokey, prickly things make the eaglets less comfortable and give them a reason eventually to leave the nest. Eventually, either because of the growing discomfort of the nest or the nudging of their mother, one of those little eaglets takes the first big step out of the nest. And if that eaglet is flapping and falling out of control and screaming I'm going to die I'm going to die the mother eagle will spread her wings and swoop down and catch them and Moses is saying here this is what God does with us he wants us to soar as eagles and to be all that he created us to be. And so he stirs up our nest a little bit. He challenges us to trust him and to move out of our comfort zone. Some of you are having your nests stirred up right now, perhaps in a big way. But please understand, even though God may call some of us to make a significant life-altering decision, for for most of us, God usually begins by calling us to be faithful in the little things. He begins by asking you to respond in obedience to his daily promptings and to reach out to that lonely person next door or at work, to give food to that person who's sick or to the person who's hungry, to share your story or the good news of Jesus with that person who's seeking God and spiritual answers to serve that hurting person. Remember the principle that Jesus taught in Luke 19. If we're faithful in doing the little things that he calls us to do, he will entrust greater things to us. My sense is that during this time of COVID, far too many people have gotten very comfortable in their nest. My question is, are you getting out of the nest in the little things that God's calling you to do? Quite apart from COVID, are you getting out of the nest and carrying through his assignments? Are you blooming where you're planted and faithfully completing the assignments that God's given to you? Maybe God's calling you to step out and invite someone to take Alpha with you. Or to serve alongside you wherever it is you're serving. Or to join a community group or to invite a small group of friends to study the Bible or just come together to encourage one another and pray for one another, whether in person or online. Maybe God's calling you to trust him in the area of your money. To begin to be more generous with what he's given to you. Maybe God's calling you to tell the truth in your workplace, even though it may cost you a promotion. Maybe God's calling you to humble yourself and to call someone that you've had a disagreement with or perhaps you've even had a falling out with over some COVID-related issue. And to not only ask forgiveness for the part that you played in all that, but to agree together to put these differences aside and to focus on Jesus and to do what he's calling us to do and be who he's calling us to be whatever it is God is saying get out of the nest move out of your comfort zone I want so much more for you I want you to soar in the spirit God's saying I want us to be close friends And for you to know through your steps of faith that I am totally trustworthy. So get out of the nest. Now, make no mistake. When you contemplate stepping out of the nest, you will experience fear, which is very natural and normal. But that doesn't mean you don't have any faith. Remember that. You see, you can have fear and faith at the same time. Someone has said faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is moving ahead in spite of the fear Psalm 56 3 says when I am afraid I will put my confidence in God living by faith is feeling the fear but obeying the Lord anyway because your confidence is in him so yes when you step out of the nest you're gonna face problems you're gonna face fears your faith will waver and you'll be tempted to go back to the nest but of this you can be certain when you fall or when you fail and you will jesus will be there to pick you up he will never leave you or forsake you and remember this the god who made giants fall the god who shook prison walls the god who brought life to Sarah's womb. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this same God who was faithful then will be faithful now. And when you exercise faith and you get out of the nest, folks, in God's timing, you will know what it means to soar with the Lord you will experience the thrill of seeing God do the impossible, the thrill of being used by God to change the trajectory of people's eternity, and most importantly, the thrill and the joy of being a friend of God. Can you say amen to that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. So take a moment and ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you asking me to do about it?